Once again, good morning. And this morning we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this entire section is uh, on false prophets. It uh, basically has a, uh, a it's, as you'll find out as we go through it, where there's going to be a number of references uh, that will run to Jude. Uh, Jude is uh, also covers the same topics and and very often in a very like manner. He he covers uh, he covers a, a great deal of the identity and the work and the and the and the. To use Jude's words, the ungodliness of the false teachers. And uh, we're going to, so we'll, we'll be hitting Jude occasionally, but it, it's a corollary uh, verse to, uh, or it's a, a book to uh, this chapter. And they run kind of, kind of side by side in a lot, in a lot of ways. Uh, but basically the idea is here is, is that he is going to move from talking about the true word of God, but... There are false teachers. That's that's what he's going to say. And just to distinguish, when he talks about the Old Testament, he calls them false prophets. When he talks about the New Testament, he calls them false teachers. Uh, they're the same group of people. They're the people who pervert the Word of God. That's who he's that's who he's going to deal with. And and basically, in this opening part, he's going to introduce us to the false teachers. He's going to do some exposure of their of their uh, of their uh, motives and operation and heresies that he's going to call he's going to call destructive, and we're uh, 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 we'll we'll be looking at that at that as we move through the text this morning. So uh, before we do, do we do we have any any prayer requests? If, Well then, we'll open in prayer. Father God, we thank you this morning as we come, as as we gather. Uh, we thank you for this uh, this group of people that you have called by your name, uh, brought together in this place to serve and to honor you. And we just ask this morning that as we turn to the book of uh, of Second Peter and as we look into the second chapter, that your Holy Spirit will instruct us, will lead us and guide us through the text, that will open our eyes to the reality of this text and implant it within our hearts that we might be strengthened to serve you all the better in the days ahead. And we would just ask, Father, that all we do today would glorify the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we ask. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at, uh, first of all, at... uh, at verse one, and it, where, where Peter introduces the false prophets, he says, "But false prophets also, false prophets also rose among the people, just as they will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves." So he he had told us in verses twenty and twenty one the surety of the word where he had said, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of men, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's the reality of the Word of God. But, and here's the but, he says, but false prophets also arose. And first of all, he's talking about in this first first part of the sentence, he's talking about the false prophets of the Old Testament. He's saying just as in the old, basically what he's going to say here, just as in the Old Testament days when false prophets infected, if you will, Israel, False teachers will infect the church of Jesus Christ. That's that's what he's going to tell us here. So he begins by saying, 
he is, he is excuse me he is saying that uh, that false prophets prophets arose among the uh, among the people Moses addressed this issue early on in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 and he gave he he gave there the people of Israel uh, this teaching he said if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and that sign or wonder comes true incidentally note that he says even if the sign or signs or wonders seem to actually be true that they come into being concerning which he spoke to you say let us and and he says to you let us walk after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for Yahweh your God is testing you to find out if you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul you shall walk after Yahweh your God and you shall fear him and you shall keep his commandments listen to his voice serve him cling to him But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh, your God, who's uh, excuse me, your God, who bought you from the land, uh, brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to drive you away from from uh, and they and their their point here is to drive you away uh, in which Yahweh your God commanded you walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. And basically, what uh, what Moses is saying here is is the uh, the sentence for the false prophet in the Old Testament was he was to be executed. Uh, he was to be executed. That's that's what he's saying here. He's saying uh, basically what you have is the false prophets told the people what they wanted to hear. Uh, this is expe- uh, expressed in Jeremiah chapter 28 where Hananiah a false prophet came to Israel to the people of Israel to the king of Israel and he said that Babylon uh, the power their power uh, would come to a swift end well we all know the reality of that one uh, Israel spent 70 years in 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 Babylonian captivity Three sweeps of Nebuchadnezzar and decimated Israel, and it basically didn't hardly exist during that time. He left only the, the, basically the people that were of no value to him, is basically what he did. But Jeremiah told the nation that it would go, it would go into servitude. But who did they listen to? They listened to the false prophet, not to Jeremiah. And the reality is they didn't repent and they went into servitude. Basically, the whole prince, and and you can also go to Jeremiah uh, uh, 23, verse 14, where he he talks about the worthless visions that that are claiming to come from God, but they're not. Uh, That's that's what he's saying. That's That's what these people do. They come and they say, these things are going to happen, but they're not true. Or you can go to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 28, where once again, he talks about visions. And he says, he says that they're they're false visions. They didn't come from God. God is not behind these things. But yet. Israel listened to these false prophets. And that's what he's warning against here is the false prophets. Basically, primarily the false prophets lead people away from God. 
And God said they're to be put to death in Deuteronomy uh, 13.5. But he, he goes on here and he says, he says, just as it happened with Israel, just as Israel had these false prophets who came in and who tried to pervert the word of God, who tried to lead the people astray, lead the people away from God. He says, just, just as that happened, there will be false prophets, uh, false teachers among you. Notice he changes here now to teachers rather than prophets. In, in, in the church of Jesus Christ, God has given, there were prophets. The, 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 the office of prophecy, that is foretelling, is, is, uh, is finished. Uh, we may use prophecy in the, in the sense of declaration, but it's declaration of the established word. We now have basically teachers and, and pastors and teachers who handle the word of God. And he says, he says, there will be false teachers among you. That's, that's what he's saying. That even among the church, Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, basically told the church to watch out for those claiming, coming and claiming to be Christ, that that was going to happen. Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. Paul's famous uh, exhortation to the, to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 29 through, 20, uh, through 30, where he, he basically told them that after I'm gone, there's going to be grievous wolves who will arise from among you. Um, yeah, there's going to be persecution on the outside, but the real danger is the false teachers that arise within the church. And basically, he says, they seek to devour you. That, that's, that's what they're there for. They, they seek to devour you. The rest of this text is going to expand on that whole, that whole idea. John told the church in verse John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, that you've heard about Antichrist. Well, I'm telling you, there are a bunch of, with a small a, Antichrist among you even today. Those who are against Christ is the idea. And he says, where are they? They're in the church. That's what he's saying. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, says, uh, and he says, these are the ones that eventually depart from us. From main from the from us, they splinter off is is really the idea, because it identifies they are not really ever part of us. That, that's what he tells us in in chapter two of of, of first John. Jude in verses three and four, he he's going to tell us that these false prophets, and we're going to expand on this a little bit later on, they creep in unnoticed. And they turn and they turn the grace of God into sensuality, even denying Christ, which this text is going to expand upon as well. <clears throat> Paul warned in Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. He said this: For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Actually, this comes after he's told Timothy, preach the word, no matter whether they listen or not, basically in season or out of season. Preach it, just preach it, is, is the idea. Uh, and, and, but he goes on, and here he says, he says, for the time will come when they not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's a reality I think we see today all over in, in Christianity. It's been so for a while, really, but it seems to be amplified even today. In, in chapter 3 and verse 13, uh, Paul also said, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving 
and being deceived. Uh, that's the that's the the picture that we're going to see. It's 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 a very harsh picture. It's a very negative picture. Uh, but what he's wanting, what Peter is wanting the church to understand, what he's wanting believers to understand in his day and in our day as well, that there are those who come among us claiming to be part of us, but are not and want to lead us astray. This is why it is so important that you know your scriptures. This is why it's so important that you understand theology, which basically just means a knowledge of God. That's all it really means. But it's why, why you need to know, why you need to study, why you need to grisp, uh, uh, grasp the truth of scripture so that you can stand firm. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand, therefore stand. Uh, that you can do that uh, based upon the sound word of God. That's, that's the idea. Uh, that's, what, that's what Peter is saying here. There were false prophets in the Old Testament. Nothing changed. There's still false teachers in the church today. But you have to be able to understand that. Well, he's going to go on with that. And he goes on and then he talks about the work of these <clears throat> of these false teachers. And basically these false teachers are just telling people what they want to hear. That's what we have today. We have we have exactly what uh, what Paul said. They they want their ears tickled, they want to feel good, they want to feel like they've done something. We did something spiritual for an hour on Sunday morning and then we went on our merry little way. Uh, uh, and he, and he goes on and he says he goes on in the text and he says uh, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's the idea here. This is their objective. It's to infiltrate, to secretly, posing as pastors, teachers, evangelists, uh, even, uh, even perhaps members who, who achieve position and power within the church. Uh, but they, they, this corresponds back to Jude 4, where he says in, 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 uh, in Jude Verse 4, we'll read the whole whole verse this time. For certain persons are corrupt and unnoticed. Those who were long, before, uh, long beforehand marked out for condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into sensuality and denying their own Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly what Peter is going to, going to expand upon in this one. He says... He, what he says about him, this, this idea of secretly coming in, of creeping in, Peter, uh, uh, Jude says they crept in. Uh, that's the whole idea of the secret. They, they snuck in, if you will, in a, in a sense. He says, he's, uh, we're going to kind of build on that. That's a verb, to creep in. It means to slip in unseen uh, under false pretenses. That's what that word means. Uh, that's how they came in. Uh, they came in claiming to be one thing, but they were something else. And they kind of just slid in. Is is the idea here, and and it uh, <coughs> it can it, it can and has been used uh, uh, basically within uh, Greek literature uh, to to speak of a person who's on trial and who attempts to fool a judge or or someone who has been banished from some place and then sneaks back in. Uh, that's that's the kind of person this is. Uh, that's that's it's a it's a trickster, if you will. And, and here, uh, <clears throat> that that's what he's saying here. These are the people, he says, they've secretly, they've secretly, well, what they have done in secret is they've introduced destructive heresies. Um, that's the English way it's translated. In Greek, it comes out in the reverse order. It's heresies of destruction. That's what heresy is. It's destructive. 
it destructs it, it is destructive to your Christian growth. It's destructive to your faith. It's destructive to your trust in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. They secretly undermine the truth of Scripture. Might be a way of saying this. Uh, that's, that's the idea here. Destructive heresies. Heresies of destruction. Destructive is a word that means to utterly ruin. That's, that's the goal here. That's the goal here. It's it's uh, <clears throat> in this context, it points to an eternal result. That, that's the idea here. It it means they these people sneak in, and they are destructive, and they and they and they maybe cause people. To never really come to true faith in Jesus Christ, which means they have eternal ruin. They're eternally destroyed. That's that's the that's the uh, the point of it here. Years ago, when I this just I, kind of a story you probably need to hear because uh, uh, this can happen. Years ago, when the first church that Kathy and I were ever a part of, I I, I rose to leadership in that church. Probably too young and ill-prepared. I will admit to that. However, I got a great lesson in church leadership 101 in that church. We had a man in that church who was a retired Air Force colonel. He was tall, full head of silver hair. You know, I mean, it was impressive. He, he had presence when he walked in the room. And uh, he led a rebellion against the pastor. He had attained, he had, he had manipulated himself into positions of, this was a conservative Baptist church, which is not a, it's a, it's a non-denomination denomination. Okay, it really was a denomination, but it wasn't, it claimed not to be. Uh, but nevertheless, he had, he had wormed his way into positions within the non-denominational denomination structure, which then gave him prominence within the church, although all of us in church leadership knew better. But because Baptists vote on everything, we couldn't keep him out. And he got in. And he worked secretly behind the lines to destroy that church. That church fell apart and split on the year it had the biggest new believer growth. And you know where those people went? I don't know. They were gone. Oh, incidentally, the outcome of his life, just to let you know, we confronted him. Well, no, excuse me. Uh, the outcome of his life is shortly after all this happened. And this is all based upon the fact that our pastor would not marry divorced believers. And he and another lady within the church got married and they were both divorced, allegedly as believers. And he wouldn't he would our pastor wouldn't marry him. So he went after him. That was that was his vendetta. He uh, he uh, came in one day and he, he had cancer. Uh, he went in the hospital. They treated it. They operated. Claimed they got it all. We didn't see him for about six weeks while he recovered. And he came back and started the whole stuff over again. 
He started it all over again. <clears throat> we c- confronted him in a board meeting. He stood up and said, no one will ever force me off this board and walked out the door. He never walked back in and he was dead three weeks later of cancer of every major organ in his body. God took him out. Understand that. That was, that was church leadership 101 for me. It taught me this lesson. It taught me this lesson. The lesson was this. God will forgive a thousand honest mistakes by an apt leadership, but he will not tolerate purposeful destruction of his church or touching his church in a, in a, in a destructive manner. He took him out. This is what this is talking about. This is the kind of thing this is talking about that destroys the work of ministry. Uh, <clears throat> uh, these are people who lead people through the wide gate, not the narrow gate. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Uh, this word destructive is used of those people, in fact, who go through the, through the wide gate. Uh, they go to eternal ruin. It's the same word that's used of Judas Iscariot in John seventeen twelve, where he was destroyed because of his apostasy. Note verse 7 of her chapter 3. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept to the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It's the same word. It speaks of eternal damnation. That's what this word speaks of. That, that's the idea here. That's what it speaks of. And he goes, what is, the, what is this destruction that they use? It's heresies. Uh, W.E. Vine defines heresies this way. I, I thought this was probably the best way to do it. He says, he says, it's an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion, which is substituted for submission to the power of truth and leads to division and the formation of sex. That's, that's what he says heresy is. It basically is a self-willed determination not to submit your will to God. Anything that follows that is heretical. That's what Vines is saying here. It's a self-willed opinion. And it, and it leads to division and the, form, and the forming of sect. sext. Uh, understand that sects are not necessarily a bad word. In fact, in Acts 24, 14, uh, this, that, uh, uh, that idea is expressed when, it's, when it calls Christianity the way. Uh, so it's not necessarily a bad term, but when it's, when it's involved in heresy, then it's a bad term. It's leading people off into heretical ideas about God. It was in the second century and into the third century, and and even it's well alive today, uh, uh, the Gnostic movement, who had this dualistic view of life, uh, that the spirit was good and the flesh was bad, therefore, then, then, then applied, therefore Jesus could not have been both divine and man. That's not possible. In their, in their view. So some of them took it that he was just a spirit that floated around. Uh, you know, that he was just some kind of a disembodied spirit. The other, other saw that this guy named Jesus had the spirit come on him at baptism and left right before the crucifixion because those things couldn't mix. Uh, you know, that's heresy. Uh, and that's formed a sect called the Gnostics. 
Uh, and that's that that that's that's the idea here. That's what Vines uh, Vines is saying. He's saying it's it's a self-willed opinion that substitutes submission to the truth. That's that's the idea here that he, he's wanting to say. And that's what these people introduce. That's what Peter, uh, Peter is saying here. They introduce these self-destructive heresies. And what does he say these self, self-destructive heresies revolve around? He says it revolves around the denying the master who bought them. That's what it says. Well, these people claim to be followers of Jesus. But they mislead people off based on false teaching. And he says, he says they deny the master. N- denying is a word that means to refuse, to be unwilling, and, it, and it, it has a very firm no to it, is the idea of this word. It's basically saying, no, I will not. That's the idea here. Hebrews 11.24, it's used, it's used in a more positive sense. It's used in that case where Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. He said firmly, no, I will not be called the son of Pharaoh. That's the idea here. In Jude 8, it's used of false teachers who reject divine authority, and that's heresy. That, that, that points out the heresy. That's the heresy. What did they deny? They denied the master. That's, that's what he says here. They denied their master. Or denied the master. In English, this word uh, translates to despot. <laughs> it's an interesting word. It speaks of sovereignty, is what it speaks of. It's, it speaks of a of a ruler or a lord. It's used ten times in the New Testament. Four of those times, it's used to describe the master of a household or an estate. Uh, he's the master. That's the idea here. Uh, he, he oversees it. The other six times, including here, it refers to Christ or God. He's the master. He's the ultimate master. He is the Lord. And it's saying they deny him. He doesn't say the specifics of that denial in this context. It comes in many forms down the road. How that specifically was being fleshed out here is not really, uh, really, really expressed. We could we could. We could uh, we could we could bring things into it, uh, but uh, they could be those that deny the resurrection. There could be those that deny the humanity of Christ. Those that deny the deity of Christ. On and on and on. Uh, he doesn't give one specific here, uh, but he says that's what they do. They deny the master who they basically are categorically saying no to submission to Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what he's saying is happening here. And he goes on to say, who bought them? Bought is to purchase or to redeem out of the the marketplace. Uh, These false teachers claim to be be redeemed, yet are not following the sovereign Lord, which reveals that they're not really redeemed at all, ultimately. Now, the unfortunate thing about this verse is it's one of the verses that those who... uh, who hold to the Arminian view? Uh, are, you, are you all familiar with what that means? Uh, basically, basically, it's pretty much very different from what we in this church hold to. It basically uh, comes down to the fact that uh, 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 you decided to be saved. 
you know, that's that's what it that's what it comes down to. And oh, by the way, you also can lose that salvation because it has to do with your choice. That's the oversimplified version. Okay. Greatly oversimplified because I don't want to spend the day dis- discussing it. But nevertheless, nevertheless, this gives support to to the uh, uh, to them because they basically are saying this verse verse basically teaches. Uh, they also they hold to we hold to limited atonement that the atonement only applies to the elect. Uh, this is universal atonement. Yes. I'm sorry. Just to clarify, which verse are we looking at? Verse one. Verse one. Oh, okay. We haven't left verse one. I promised Don I was going to spend a long time in verse one, okay. <laughs> and probably breeze through two and three. But nevertheless, uh, verse uh, verse one, uh, verse, we're still in verse one. This is denying the Lord. Verse one. Uh, but anyway, at any, I forgot where it was now. Uh, Huh? Arminianism. Yeah. Uh, basically, basically, what they're doing here is they're this is they use this verse to support the concept of universal atonement, which is a fallacy. Because understand, what is the logical outcome of universal atonement? Everybody saved. Not necessarily, but yeah, that could mean that. What it ultimately means is. Because not everybody gets saved, we know that. That's Ron Bell, and God's love overrules everything, therefore everybody gets saved. That's universal salvation. But this is universal atonement, which means that Christ died for the sins of every human being that ever lived every sin. Which means there are billions of people in hell for whom Christ died and paid the price for their sin. That can't be. That cannot be. And that is total heresy. The atonement is limited. The atonement only applies to the elect. Now, for you and me, I have no clue who the elect are. So we tell everyone. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. That's what he's saying here. So understand that, because you'll you'll find that uh, in this uh, in this uh, text. Uh, Val, uh, we know that redemption and salvation is solely the work of God. Ephesians chapter one, verses three and six. Just as a, a reminder, just one of the many verses, but this is a good one. <laughs> well, they're all good ones, but nevertheless. Uh, three, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, by predestining us to the adoption of sons through, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his good will. Not according to the pleasure of your choice. You had what part did you have in your salvation? Nothing. God did it all. That's the point. God did it all. That's Ephesians two eight nine. He even gave you the faith to believe. He gave you the grace to have the faith to believe. Let me put it in the right order. And so uh, this uh, this basically uh, this basically this teaching of of of, of universal atonement fails. To, to, to understand uh, the inability of man uh, to reach God, 
total depravity, um, because he's dead in his trespasses and sin, Ephesians uh, 2.1, Romans uh, 1, 21 through 21, and therefore is incapable of choosing to be, sa- uh, to be saved. And the atonement can therefore not apply to him unless he is elect and chosen by God and called, by, called into his presence by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is solely the work of God. Note verses 21 and 22. For we, uh, oh, I better get in the right. There we go. Uh, verses 21 and, and, and 22. For it would be better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned away from the holy commandments handed on to them. This message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing, uh, returns to wallow in the mire. In other words, in other words, they never were. They went back to where they came from. That's, that's what he's telling us there. So, the result is, the result of their secret introduction of heresies that deny the Lord, who made the purchase price for all of those who would be saved, is swift destruction upon themselves. Swift is quick or imminent, and destruction is is uh, uh, basically uh, eternal damnation. That's the idea here. Jew, uh, excuse me. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses seven through ten. Paul wrote to the Th- well. Let's pick this up. Uh, let's pick this up in verse six. Since it is right for God to replay, repay with affliction those who have afflicted you, and to give you rest, and to give rest to you who were afflicted, and to us as well, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, fire, executing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who do not do, do, uh, do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction same word again uh, away from the uh, the presence of God and from the glory of his might when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among those who believed for our witness to you was believed that's that's the end of these people destruction and it's imminent in other words it comes quickly upon them is the idea and then he moves on, and he, he, he wants to give some exposure to us about, about these uh, false teachers. And he says this about them in verse 2. And, and, and in these verses, uh, we have the effect of the false teachers on the Christian community. And basically, they're extremely, they're extremely, they're extremely uh, harmful, is the idea here. He says... But many will follow their sensuality, and because, because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. So first, the first thing he says is that many will follow him. Uh, and basically, the word follow has the concept of following them to the end. They stay with them, is, is the idea here. Many will follow them. Uh, this is uh, Peter, uh, Peter in, 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 uh, in chapter 1, verse 16, had, had written... For we, did, for we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ following cleverly uh, devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. And in that context of saying that, he's basically telling us these false prophets use myth. That's, they just make up stories is the idea. Uh, that's the idea. He says, we didn't do that. That isn't, that isn't what we gave you. 
And, and these people in their following of these false teachers are the ones who are going to face Jesus one day and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21 through, uh, 21 through 23. Uh, and, he, and, and then he tells us what they follow. What it is that they follow from these people. Where, where it is they go with these people. And he says, their sensuality. That's, that's what he says here. He says, many will follow their sensuality. It will be attractive to the, to the human spirit. The fallen human spirit is the idea. They will follow sensuality. Sensuality is a, is a broad, sweeping term. It, it's used very often for sexual sin, and usually with these people, that's a major component. Uh, but it, it, uh, it is a word that uh, is translated in the King James, perniciousness. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that is, uh, means unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, wantonness. <clears throat> shamelessness, insolence. Uh, those, are, those are the terms that, that, that surround this word. And, and basically, so it's kind of a broad brush, but it basically is they appeal, they appeal to the fallen man. That, that's, that's what I see the idea here is. Uh, that's their appeal. They appeal to the fallenness of man. Oh, we're doing godly things, but we can still have these things too that God has told us to stay away from, ultimately, is the idea here. Uh, and the, the idea here is this is, is, uh, this, is not, this is not the result of their heresies, but it, it's more seen in their behavior is the idea here. Uh, the heresies they produce produces an ungodly behavior, a, a licentious behavior, a sensual behavior is the idea uh, that, that he's saying here. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of people they are. They lead immoral lives, is what this is telling us. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you've been around Christianity any amount of time, and if you pick up a paper every once in a while... There's some guy claiming to be the pastor of the first church of the whatever uh, who has done some crazy, stupid thing. You know, he's run off with some woman or he ran off with the church's money or he did both or maybe all three. But at any rate, you see that all the time. That's that's what this is talking about. This is the kind of people they are. They lead immoral lives is, is the idea here. When... Uh, I served with a guy at one time who uh, had been under, I don't know if you know who Jack Hiles is. Uh, he's been gone for a while. Uh, but he was pastor of the First, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, which at one time was the largest church in the United States. And uh, he was a dictator-type pastor. And... Uh, uh, he was a very legalistic type guy. His his place was very legalistic. My the guy I served with had a, a tough time overcoming all that. He had realized it was wrong, but you know when he got in trouble, he ran to those roots. <laughs> but at any rate, at any rate, uh, during uh, the time we were to, we were together before he went on, and he actually he actually founded the uh, chaplaincy among NASCAR, and that's where he, where he, where he wound up eventually. Uh, but uh, but he, uh, uh, during that time, he got a call from uh, 
from uh, oh, I just his name just went out of my head. I know it as well as a day is long. Uh, but anyway, I got a call that they they had an issue that uh, basically uh, Hammond's son, who pastored a church in Texas, that the janitor of that church had found a briefcase in the trash, and he pulled the briefcase out, and it was almost brand new briefcase, and and he opened it. And in it were a number of pornographic pictures of Hammond's son with various women from the church. Um, they went and confronted him, you know, in a church discipline role. Uh, my friend did, who had knew, known him, had known him as a kid. He had known him growing up in that church. He and, and uh, Gene Getz, that was the other guy that was involved in it, they went to him and... Uh, and they confronted him and talked with him, and uh, the true man came out. Mm-hmm. He left his wife and threatened to kill anyone that came near him, and went off. You know, that's that's these guys. That's these guys. That's what these sensual heresies lead to. They lead to immoral lives. We don't delve in that stuff. We stay away from it. Uh, we keep away from it. We keep true from it. That's that's the idea here. He says, he says, because the result, the result of this, and here's the big issue, because we just discussed it. Here's the big issue. The result of these sensualized heresies, whatever the whatever label you want to put on them under them, under them, whatever form they take, because they'll take different forms in different places with different people, whatever, whoever that is, wherever that is, the ultimate. The ultimate end is to the unsaved world, maybe not to you and me because we understand this, but to the unsaved world, what this says is the way of the truth is maligned. Christ is misrepresented. His name is smeared through the mud. That's, that's what this is saying. The way of the truth, which incidentally, this is an interesting, interesting, um, interesting way of putting it. It's the road of truth, a way, a path, a road. Uh, uh, and it's, it, it speaks of the, the road work of your life. In other words, your pattern of life, how you live your life. He says, the way of truth, that's what he's talking about here. Those who follow the truth, those who follow the true God, those who follow Jesus Christ, their master is maligned, is ultimately what this is saying here. He's saying here, uh, in other words, what this is saying is character and behavior matter. They're important. That's what he's pointing out here. Uh, They're maligned. Philippians. It's in here somewhere. Uh, Chapter 1, verse uh, verse 27. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstance, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind contending together for the faith of the gospel. That's our job. These guys don't do that. These guys don't do that. He says that it would be maligned. That their their way of life ultimately maligns, literally blasphemes, blasphemes, slanders, or defames the church and its Lord. That's that's what it's saying here. The ungodly, the ungodly, the ungodly acts of these. False teachers and their followers bring discredit to the name of Christ. 
And how many people have you ever run into because they're not going to have anything to do with the church because of, and they throw some of these guys at you? That's 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 the idea here. So the first thing he says, the first thing he, t- he talks about uh, their 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 destructive heresies is their sensuality, their their manner of life, the way they conduct themselves. But in verse three, he's going to give us their motive. In verse three, he he tells us what their motive is, and he says he says in verse three, and their greed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here, because I uh, read the bulletin this morning, and I noticed that uh, our message is on giving. <laughs> this, this has nothing to do with that, okay? The two are not connected. Uh, but at any, rate, at any rate, I thought that was funny. But anyway, anyway uh, that's my sense of humor. But anyway, I thought it was funny. Uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, but anyway, he says here, their greed will exploit you with false words. That's the idea here. Here is the ultimate motive, money. These guys are about money. That's what they're about. They're about greed is covetousness, desire to have more. I think it was, I think, I, I read this somewhere, but I can't remember now. I may mis, misquote. I think it was Randolph Hearst. No, it was J. Paul Getty, excuse me, who was once asked, Ask how much money he needed, and he said, just a little bit more. You know, just a little bit more. That's the idea here. The desire for more. The, the, structure, the structure of this particular verse is basically the idea within the sphere of greed. That's where they live. That consumes their life. The, the getting. The having more. The sensuality is is a byproduct, in a sense. Their way of life is sensual. Well, it, that would include all the things money can buy. You know, that's that's the idea here. They need the money. That's that's the idea here. That's the structure. This is where the false teacher operates. He operates around the role of money. That's that's well wealth, I guess. Uh, that's the idea that he's talking about here. I I brought this guy up before once before, but I I did a little more research on him, and it's it's really interesting because he is the richest pastor in the United States. Well, so-called pastor. I wouldn't. I I hate to discredit that title with this guy, but at any rate, at any rate, Kenneth Copeland. You've all heard of him, right? He's worth seven hundred and seventy million dollars. That's his value. He has a. 14-acre estate in Texas on which he lives in a 18,000-square-foot house. It has all the accoutrements, including an airport of his own, which houses his Gulfstream, which he hit up his congregation for $17 million for improvements in a hangar after he bought the $10 million airplane. He pays no property tax on the house because he claims it a parsonage. His church pays $3,000 in property tax on his 14 acres, which includes a boat dock 
and tennis courts and all of this kind of stuff. This is Kenneth Hagen. And he goes on TV every week or maybe every day begging people for more money. That's the disgrace that this is talking about. This is the kind of guy they're talking about. This is, this is, this is what he's saying here. He lives in the sphere of greed. I need more. And I read an article. They wrote a, somebody wrote a big article on him, and, and he actually gave an interview to this guy. And he told the guy, well, I need the jet because I have to get there, and I have to have my clothes with me. When I, I, and it was like, seriously, dude, you know. Seriously, dude. And he says, they, they will exploit you. It means to traffic in. It literally means to make merchandise of. In other words, I'm out to get it from you. That's, that's the idea. I take what you've got. That, that's, that's what they're saying here. It, uh, it's, it's actually the word we get the idea of emporium from, the Greek word. We get the English word emporium, and it, it basically refers to the marketplace. In, the Greek, in Greek, it referred to the marketplace. They make a marketplace out of you. One time, I, I, I don't know, I don't watch this channel, but I, I have turned it on occasionally just not to laugh, but to cry. But, but TBN, I turned it on one time, and they were, let's go to the Bible store. And they were selling trinkets. I mean, that's, that's what it was all about. It was all about junk they were selling. You see these guys on TV? There was a guy on TV that was selling prayer cloths. He prayed over this prayer cloth. And you take it home and you put it on your sore nose and it makes it well. You know. Send me $10 and I'll send you this thing I prayed over. You know. Nonsense. That's what it's talking about here. They exploit you. They make merchandise out of you. They're just trying to get their hand in your pocketbook. That's what, that's, what, that's what Peter is saying here. This is who they are. They come in with destructive heresies so that they can get into your pocketbook ultimately. They leave immoral lives. They, they take you away from the truth of Scripture, and they take you into their world of sensuality so they can get what? Your money. That's the ultimate goal. That's what, that's what Peter is saying here. So that they can get into your pocket. But then he goes on to say, and then Peter tells us this, he goes, they're basically their, their time is limited. Uh, uh, he, says, he says this, he says, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Uh, God doesn't have us as believers take heretics out and stone them anymore. He's going to take care of that himself. That's what it's saying. Their judgment was declared long ago. Deuteronomy told us what their judgment is. I think it was longer than that. But from our standpoint, we know from Deuteronomy where that judgment was, has been declared. Uh, their, their end is death. That's, that's what this says. And not death in the sense that they cease life in this existence, but eternal damnation is the idea that he's talking about here. He says their, their judgment was from long ago, and it's not idle. In other words, God didn't put it on hold. He's got a plan. He knows exactly where it is. Uh, one commentator says, says this has the concept 
<clears throat> excuse me, this has the concept that it's alive. Like this judgment is almost a living thing waiting to take place. Is, is the idea here. It's not idle. Vincent, Vincent is the one who expressed it as, as awake and expectant. Jude 4 said, those long ago beforehand were marked out for condemnation. That's, that's their end. That's, that's what he's telling them here. Uh, he says their destruction is not asleep. Their utter ruin, their total, their total loss is not asleep. That destruction is ready to be fulfilled at God's command. That's what Peter is assuring us of here. Second Thessalonians, we've already been there once, but we're going to read the, last, the next couple of verses from there in verse 11. Uh, verse 11 and, excuse me, verse 11 and 12. To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill all your good pleasure for for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our Lord and uh, of, of, of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says there's going to be false prophets. There always has been, there's always going to be. Here's who they are. They, they come in with destructive heresies. And there are a multitude of them. He says that those heresies ultimately deny who Jesus Christ is. They fail to submit to his lordship ultimately is what their heresy leads to. Uh, they lead immoral lives that are consumed with the accumulation of wealth. But be assured of this, their doom has been established, and they will spend eternity in hell. You live the good life. Honor your God. Any comments or questions this morning? I'm sorry. I'm sure you must have said this before I got here. Apologize. That is there a difference in the terminology in the verse between the false prophets and the false teachers, or is the false prophets kind of an Old Testament? Old Testament. That's yeah, exactly. Okay. The difference is is he he refers to the old because in the Old Testament they're prophets, mm-hmm. in the New Testament they're pastors and teachers. Okay. That's that's the difference. So he okay. uses that yeah, same bad guys. Okay. Same bad bad guys just in a different town. Mm. All right. Thank you. Okay. Same poison, different bottle. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, it's interesting as we read this scripture, and we think about how there's really nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that back then working on this, and yet, you know, we gave examples of today's modern religion that's getting worse. They had it back then. Yeah. And, you know, oh, yeah. Same, well, during the during the second and third century, uh, Christianity was under attack from Rome, and they were under attack from within from the heretics, so the, the Gnostics, Gnostics. So, yeah, it's and bringing it right on through. Let's close. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this text, and, and we ask that we would uh, we would be a people who are found to honor your name.
that we would be a people who would live lives that give glory to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we would be found always in Him, faithful to the end. That we would uh, uh, that we would look forward to that day when Jesus calls us home. And Father, we would pray along with the with the Apostle John, uh, Lord Jesus, come now, come quickly, and we thank you in His name. Amen.